It's October 5th, 2016, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science and technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. To kick off today's show, we're going to hear about a couple of upcoming events. Uh, first, we have Mike King from Ikezo. He's here to tell us about a new group called Full Stack. Then, Art Kimura will join us by phone to tell us about the upcoming Pan-Pacific VEX tournament. Finally, State Librarian Stacey Aldrich is here to tell us about the new public library website. And of course, then after the break, we'll be joined by Gwen Jacobs and David Garmeyer to talk about the recent National Science Foundation Award to UH's study, Hawaii's Freshwater Aquifer. Of course, we always welcome your comments, your questions as part of the conversation. You can call in or send us a tweet after that break. Well, first up, Mike King. I've seen, I've been seeing you all over the place. I mean, Everywhere. you've come on the show, you know, like in the last couple of weeks, like twice, and you were at the uh, um, the Hawaii Tourism Conference. And uh, Mike, you're all over the place. Anyway, so I heard <laughs> about this thing called Full Stack, and oh, I wanted to get the info on what exactly is Full Stack. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good, good. So <clears throat> this is kind of a new meetup group, and uh, you're you're. One of the folks that are going to be the featured speakers, and I think uh, Philip Johnson is the other one. And what? What? Tell me what is? I, I hear all you devs talking about full stack. <laughs> so what is full stack first? So well, I guess um, there's two ways to kind of answer that. First of all, uh, full stack is uh, that what we're doing in terms of promoting is is in a uh, organization of events that uh, Ikezo has kind of a hand in that's that we're promoting across all of our different um, locations. So it actually started in our St. Louis office, and it's. Uh, the idea is basically uh, a, a collection of meetups to get both front-end developers and back-end developers uh, together, as well as uh, interactive designers, people that are working in kind of the, the web product space, um, all just kind of talking about how to build good products using uh, uh, different technologies. Mm-hmm. And so the the concept is kind of similar to uh, uh, another event that uh, we have here, like Wetware, mm-hmm. where we have someone that comes on and kind of uh, speaks on behalf of a, a project or something that they're working on, where it, in our format, we basically have two people. We have uh, a front-end guy that comes in and talks for uh, basically a 15-minute segment, and then we have uh, another uh, kind of a back-end uh, dedicated engineer person that comes in and talks for another 15. And then the last hour and a half is basically networking um, so people just kind of get together um, we will have food and uh, just kind of uh, you know get to chat and, and uh, hang out well Mike I love that there are so many different meetup groups dedicated to specific languages like Python or different uh, technologies in particular you mentioned wetware Wednesday I like that event the HTDC puts it on but it's very broad it's a, such a wide mix not just developers although that's certainly the core right. constituency but even general purpose nerds like me can show up to what we're Wednesday when you talk about uh, full stack it sounds like you're being a little more technical a little more specific and full stack is a term that means everything rather than just hiring someone that does a little piece it's someone who can do everything right right so that's what you want to sort of uh, foster that skill set in Hawaii yeah yeah it, it um, that's kind of the concept. So basically the, the term full stack, as you mentioned, comes from uh, someone that has the capability of kind of spanning the spectrum in terms of uh, a product design and development process. So they're able to go in and, and kind of handle uh, design, development, front-end development, back-end development, setting up databases, even project management, everything that's involved in really shipping a great project. And that's kind of what we're focusing on for these events are, are people who are involved in shipping great products. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that we uh, often notice is that, you know, when we have these code challenges or hackathons, 
a lot of the devs come out, but it's it's a little harder to get some of the designers that are <laughs> you know very critical and crucial in developing a prototype or or something that could be presented as a a, a project. Right. Uh, is this a is this an effort to try to engage more of the designers in town? Yeah, I think in a in a larger sense, you know, that's definitely what our our major goal is to try to get you know the collaboration from both front end and back end together, and that's really where uh, we got a lot of ground going in our our uh, initial meetups in um, St. Louis. Here in Honolulu, it, it may be a little bit differently. Uh, you know, I've taken a part in, in hosting a few other events before in the past. And I think uh, the challenge that we have here is mainly around um, the uh, uh, the amount of people who are dedicated working in that um, product design front end uh, space versus the amount of designers that are just working in kind of traditional or other design media. And so um, I think there's definitely people here that that are involved in in the space. It's just about, you know, getting that crowd out and growing that crowd. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What degree of expertise are you looking for? I mean, uh, again, uh, I like the focus, but if you're uh, just getting started or if you're a professional working full time, um, I'd be curious, you know, just how broad a net are you throwing to a developer working with various tools? So I think the goal of Full Stack is really to cover everybody, people that are just getting involved and want to kind of learn, like, what is it about? What can I learn? Where can I go with this? To people who are, you know, working in the weeds day in and day out that are dedicated uh, software developers or engineers working on projects every day. And so I think you'll kind of get um, a gist of that from the different types of speakers and the levels of, of talks that we have or that we're planning to have coming out. I think for the one that we have tomorrow, it's going to be, um, you know, my, uh, myself kind of speaking on behalf of designing something a little bit more technical. Um, so I'll, I'll be talking about designing um, uh, multilingual mobile applications. So, you know, how do we approach designing a mobile app that needs to serve users in the U.S., Japan, China, Korea, mm-hmm. uh, and, and across Europe? And I think Philip Johnson is going to be speaking on behalf of of uh, a product that uh, he's been building that's a, a kind of an open source project on GitHub that allows developers to uh, create their own portfolios and kind of scaffold them out really quickly using um, JSON data. So mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. his will be a little bit more like in the weeds where mine will be a little bit more topical. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's kind of the the approach that we want to take, you know, when we when we have our talks is get uh, people that can kind of cover both ends of, of the, the project. You mentioned the St. Louis. Louis. I mean, what's the connection between St. Louis and is Full Stack a, a meetup group that is actually happening across the country? Yeah. So um, <laughs> the the nature of St. Louis is just because of uh, a Kazo actually. So uh, like I mentioned, a Kazo is the main kind of uh, promoter and sponsor of Full Stack, but um, uh, St. Louis is another one of our offices okay. as well as uh, Tokyo, where we're also mm-hmm. planning another uh, Full Stack meetup here um, here in the the next few months. So that's kind of uh, the the plan with um, uh, our meetups. So we've been having the Full Stack meetups in um, uh, St. Louis for about the last six months i want to say we started around february or march um and so this will be the first one that we're doing in honolulu and like i mentioned we're planning on starting one up here in um, uh, in japan here soon well i think it's a great brand certainly yeah. it's something that i hear about in terms of developers and it sounds like a good series of events i'm curious who are some of the other speakers that you're going to be bringing in but starting with tomorrow where can someone go to find more information how to attend the first honolulu full stack meetup 
For sure. So uh, the easiest place to find us is at fullstack.org. Um, so that's where we'll be posting up information for all of our events across all of the different locations. Um, but then we also have a Facebook page. So you can go to facebook.com forward slash fullstackorg. And you can also find us on Twitter at uh, uh, twitter.com forward slash fullstackorg. Fantastic. Very yeah. good. Well, thanks, Mike, for joining us. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, good seeing you. Of course, next up we have Art Kimura, who's joining us by phone. He's here to tell us about the Pan Pacific VIX Robotics Tournament. Welcome to the show, Art. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, so uh, Art, we're tell excited. Me. We have uh, we're reviving the Pan Pacific VIX Championship this uh, Saturday and Sunday at Kamehameha Kapalama. Hmm. Um, we have uh, teams coming from China, Taiwan, Canada, California, and of course Hawaii. We'll have ninety-three teams competing there rights to go to the world championship in 2017 so art uh back up a little bit and tell us you know i i was very uh much keen on the uh, vex competition and and the pan pacific nature of it and it was going on quite uh quite uh, vigorously and then i think it took a like a two-year hiatus i mean what what why the uh why the uh break in in activity and what's bringing it back uh in 2016 Right. We did take a break. Uh, part of it was funding. Um, part of it was to look for a reason to do it. And one of the reasons we we're trying to bring this back is uh, VEX Robotics has grown so enormously in Hawaii. We want Hawaii teams to have a chance to compete on an international basis uh, without having to leave Hawaii in this case. And also we have an initiative where we're trying to partner with the Department of Defense Schools, uh, with uh, schools such as in Okinawa, we're hoping, so that this tournament can be rotated Olympic-style around the Pacific Rim in the future. Mm-hmm. Right, so uh, are you, um, I know when you had previous uh, uh, Pan-Pacific uh, competitions, you had rep- uh, representation from all over the uh, Pacific, uh, and the I guess the regionals are going on right now. But uh, what kind of representation are you going to get from the uh, let's say the Pacific Rim in this uh, competition this coming uh, uh, Saturday and Sunday? Right, we have uh, teams nine teams from China that are here already. Um, they, there's about fifty members in their party. Uh, we have four teams from Taiwan, one from Canada, hmm. and a couple from California, and the rest are from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Well, I like how you described it. It's an opportunity for our uh, local teams, our local schools, to compete on an international uh, with international competitors. But the international competitors in this particular case, and at least until this event can move around like the Olympics, we bring the international competition to Hawaii. I know that you mentioned VEX is going very strong nationally. Certainly, I know that it's one of the larger robotics programs. How would you say VEX is uh, doing in Pacific uh, Rim countries? It's it's exploding worldwide right now. Uh, they're registering 500 new teams every week. Uh, as of uh, this morning in Hawaii, we have 309 teams registered. Uh, we've had an increase of 55% in the elementary middle school program called VEX-IQ. Mm-hmm. We're now at a 217 teams. Uh, so the penetration into schools now is at about 35%. So we're very happy that, you know, we have more access now for students to participate in programs like this. So, Art, uh, you know, every year when the regionals take place and all the teams have to compete, uh, it's always a, a new competition. Can you describe what the uh, what the competition is this year? And if somebody were to attend uh, this weekend, what they would uh, 
like to what what they would see. I mean, what what can they expect to see the kids actually uh, performing in terms of their robots? Sure, we have uh, two competitions going on: one for middle and high school, and the competition is called Vex VRC. And the game this year is called Starstruck, in which they're trying to uh, take their stars, which are foam stars, and toss them to the to the opponent's side. So it's a de-scoring game. So you're trying to put as many stars on their side along with some big bean bags. I think the exciting part is at the end of the, the match, uh, the robot will be attempting to climb a pole, in which they get points for. In the other competition for elementary and middle school called VexIQ, the game is called Crossover. And in this game, they play together, and they try to score um, these hexagonal balls in, in their correct coloring uh, scoring zones. And at the end of the match, I think what I, I really like this year is that the two robots have to go on a bridge and balance. If they're able to balance, like on a seesaw, they get bonus points, 25 points. So in each of these competitions, there's a very exciting conclusion to it. I and like it. I re- yeah, I really like this year's competitions because it fosters a lot of teamwork. Uh, you cannot play alone in this game. You have to have a good partner. Yeah, Art, I mean, I think in previous years, a lot of these competitions, you're working with maybe balls, you know, very evenly shaped things that have predictable uh, behaviors when you work with them. So foam stars and bean bags and balancing. Balancing acts. I mean, it sounds much more interesting. And, you know, you, it, I think what you would emphasize is that it's a pretty good spectator sport. It's not just watching robots do robot-y things. It can get very exciting. Exactly. They're, they really like sports games with uh, students driving robots that they've designed and programmed. Great. So if somebody wants to come and check it out over at the Kamehameha School, where, uh, what time, what, uh, what day, and uh, where can they show up? Yes, On Saturday, we have our opening ceremony at 9.30, and then the qualification matches will start at 10. We take a break, and then we continue all the way to 5 o'clock. Uh, so we'll have qualification matches all day on Saturday, trying to get their rank order in, in place. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday, we'll have qualification matches starting at 8.30, uh, running to about 11.30, and then we'll do the final matches in the afternoon. So our award ceremony will start at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. So we're very appreciative of, we have probably 180 volunteers coming out this weekend, mm-hmm. along with our tremendous coaches that are bringing their teams. Of course, we have some very good sponsors, the Hawaiian Electric Companies, Okinawa Enatech, which is the electrical utility in Okinawa, is sending representatives and oh. also sponsoring our team social. And part of it, our initiative is to try and see if we can establish a program like this in Japan, in particular in Okinawa, where we can further this collaboration between Hawaii and Japan. Very cool. Well, very good. Well, thanks, uh, Art, for joining us. We'll try and make it. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, and finally, of course, we've got the state librarian here, Stacy Aldrich, and she's here to tell us about some new developments with online access to the library, a.k.a. website. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thank you so much for having me. Good to have you. Yeah, now you get to break a story here on Bite Marks Cafe, which actually is uh, geared up for a little press conference on Monday, but so... Tell our all our listeners like what is happening over at the library and this cool website that you're launching. We are so excited. We're going to be refreshing and showing our new website. It launches. We have a soft launch tomorrow at 9 a.m. 
Um, so we have a brand new website that will help people to discover all the amazing things that we have at the library. I've only been here for about a year and a half, and when I first got here, mm. I couldn't find things on the website. And when a librarian can't find things on your own website, that makes it kind of difficult to I think that other mm-hmm. people can too. So this website is really designed to help people discover all the great things we have. Now, what kind of a undertaking was it to restructure, redesign, make this website much more usable? And did you work with people in Hawaii to make this happen? Yes, we did. We worked with the Hawaii Information Consortium, and they were amazing. Uh, Rosie Warfield was our our project manager, and we had a, a great user experience folks and designers who really pushed us to think about the website in terms of people, not the librarian, the way the librarian likes to catalog things. Mm So our website's really designed, um, completely rehauled, and everything has moved into categories that are easier to understand. Got a question from uh, my daughter listening in Hilo. Does this mean the library website doesn't look like it was designed before I was born? Yes. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That is such a great question. Um, Yeah, it is. It looks so much better. It's it's organized by browsing, finding something, attending something, learning something. For the first time, you'll be able to search an entire island to see what kinds of events are happening. So if you want to see what musicians are playing, what book story times there are, you'll be able to find it. Or like um, the, they, they do a lot of movie movie show uh, screenings yeah. at uh, IAI. I know, yeah, it'll uh, all be on the website. Now, when you had uh, the opportunity to, let's say, you know, redo the website, what was the process by which you wanted to get some new things, new features uh, identified? I mean, did you have those already in mind or did you help, I mean, did the uh, your, your, um, your vendor... A Hawaii Information Consortium, did they kind of help draw that out of you? Uh, we had some ideas in mind, and then they helped to draw out other ideas. Um, we had lots of conversations about what things mean. So librarians use databases a lot, mm-hmm. but what does a database really mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we have so many resources that were so hidden on our website. So many people don't know what we have, so they helped us to uncover those things so that people can find them. So. Uh, for instance, if you want to right. learn something, did you know you can learn languages? We have Mango languages. You can learn up to 72 different languages just with your library card, and that includes pirate. Now, I heard, yeah, about pirate. <laughs> and I, Yar. Uh, yeah, Ryan was t- teaching me a couple of yes. <laughs> See, now my daughter is rolling her eyes. But anyway, yes. sorry, Katie. Now, there are also some other great resources. You were mentioning magazines. I mean, I, I didn't mm. realize that you could actually download the entire magazine and read it Absolutely. at your leisure. I am a total magazine hawk. I love reading magazines, and I spend a lot of money. But now that I have my library card, there's a uh, we can download magazines through Zinio. There's uh, Mental Floss. Uh, there are all kinds of beauty magazines like Glamour, mm. Rolling Stone. We've just added about 20 more titles. There's Golf Magazine. There are back issues, so you can download them to your tablet, your PC, or your phone. Now, if you're a geek, is Wired a, a, a choice? I think so, yeah. Oh, I think it's on good. there. And I've, I've used Zinio, and I should mention, you know, my wife is doing uh, self-learning languages. Yeah. Mango is one of the w- more well-known platforms for people to do that mm-hmm. so that you can, if you can access these libraries without having to pay, basically, because you're a member of the library, that's quite a benefit. That's right. And you can keep all those back issues. In fact, I download, with Zinio, I download a lot of um, cooking magazines, and mm. then I just keep those recipes so I can use them later on. We also have other things. So if you're a geek and you're trying to get maybe some Microsoft certification, you can use the Microsoft um, Imagine Academy for free with your with your uh, library card and learn and get prepared to take those certifications and networking and uh, Word and all the Office products. And you mentioned library card a couple times, and, and if I'm not mistaken, you can get your library card for free. For free. Just have to show up with a, an uh, ID that shows your current address, and that's it. 
Great. So you said that the, at 9 o'clock uh, tomorrow, there's going to be a soft launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the website the same? Could you share the website, the, the URL? Uh, the URL is just uh, www.libraryshawaii.org. Okay. And so starting tomorrow, people can check it out. Yeah. But then you also have a big launch event coming up. Yep. We'll have a big celebration at the Hawaii State Library downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have some yummy treats, and hopefully we'll have people there to celebrate with us this Monday? new website. Monday. Mm-hmm. And what time? And is that open to the media, the peop, you know, people? Uh, it's open to everybody. So it will be 10 a.m. at the Hawaii State Library that we'll be launching. Excellent. Officially. Congratulations in advance. Thank you very much. Well, very good. Well, thanks, Stacey, for joining us. Thank you. And, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Principal Investigator Gwen Jacobs and Associate Professor David Garmar to talk about the Hawaii EPSCOR project, also called Ikebai. What is EPSCOR? Yes, Bert, please tell us. And what are the <laughs> goals of the project? Of course, we'd love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. So you can call 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live in the studio monitoring Twitter. You can reach us at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. We have a goal of $936,000 for this fall's pledge drive. 936000 That's a lot to raise. Can we do it? Of course we can. And we'll do it together, one gift at a time. And it all starts with you. Make your contribution now to the station that promises civility, complexity, and creativity. Online donations accepted 24-7 at hawaiipublicradio.org. On the next On Being. Where else does the power of an idea, you know, other than science, but especially in physics, where we can sit down like Einstein did and think and produce something that changes everything. I mean, that's awesome to get into a job like that. (laughs) Musings about science, free will, and real life with physicist Leonard Mladenow. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Sunday morning at 10, following Weekend Edition. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today from the University of Hawaii are Principal Investigator Gwen Jacobs and Associate Professor David Garmeyer. Of course, Gwen is the Director of Cyber Infrastructure over at the UH uh, ITS. Uh, I'll, I'll let her explain what the ITS stands for. And, of course, uh, she's the Principal Investigator for this recent uh, National Science Foundation EPSCOR project. David, meanwhile, is, as mentioned, an Associate Professor in Electrical Engineering at the University of Hawaii at Manoa and a team member of the Ikevai Project. And, of course, we'd love your questions and comments, and that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Gwen and David, we want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you so much, Bert. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us, and Ryan, too. Now, you know, we've had uh, we've had Kevin Kelly come on a while back. I can't even remember. <laughs> uh, we're talking about F-Score. And Gwen, we had you back in the, uh, I think it was like uh, Christmas Eve 2014. <laughs> I, I got to thank you for coming because, you know, that was one of those shows where I'm thinking, Who's going to be available on Christmas Eve? What awesome people can we find? That's right. And we got Gwen to come on. And, and Jason Lee came That's right. Me. And the, the two people that are very important in terms of this whole F-Square project. But 
before we get into like uh, some of the details of the project, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about what EPSCOR is and, and the Science Found, uh, National Science Foundation and this whole program? Absolutely. So the EPSCOR program, EPSCOR actually stands for the Experimental Program to Stimulate Competitive Research. And there are, I think, 28 states that are eligible for EPSCOR funding across the nation. And the EPSCOR program is really quite unique at NSF because it is one of the only programs that funds uh, really a very a comprehensive program that includes research, education, and workforce development, but specifically focused on a state need. Mm-hmm. So when we... Um, and. States are allowed to choose their science area that they want to focus on, and when it was our turn to write our EPSCOR program, we focused. We decided to focus on water sustainability since it's such an important issue in Hawaii. And this is um, one project, but I imagine there are other EPSCOR projects that have come through or that have been worked on in Hawaii, or no? This is yes. The this pro- is. I think this is our third EPSCOR project. The previous one was centered, <clears throat> was really focused on. Uh, looking at indicator species and climate change, mm-hmm. and a lot of the work took place at UH Hilo and also at the Hawaii Institute for Marine Bi- Biology. Mm-hmm. And, and and Gwen, for mm-hmm. this project, uh, you're the principal investigator, so you had to basically kind of assemble a very diverse team mm-hmm. of researchers and scientists at the university. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about some of the people that are involved? Absolutely. And in fact, that's one of the most exciting parts about this project is the opportunity to get to work with such a diverse group and and many, many young investigators. So our team combines um, geologists, geochemists, uh, microbiologists, engineers, social scientists, and economists, as well as educators. And electrical engineer. Electrical, our mm-hmm. favorite doctor. Well, and in, in the interest of full disclosure, I, I happen to be the communicator. For the EPSCOR <laughs> part, project. For part of the project. We're so, delighted to have you. Yeah, thank you. <coughs> David, uh, you're, you're um, an associate professor over at the UH in electrical engineering, and, and you know, there's a, a large, I mean, a, a whole slew of uh, technical issues that are part of the uh, EPSCOR project. And, and uh, this one for studying, you know, the aquifer. I mean, what part do you play in, in sort of uncovering some of the information that is needed? Oh, th- thanks for having me, Bert. Uh, this is uh, a very exciting area, uh, studying uh, water and, uh, and uh, how it's produced in Hawaii. Obviously, water is really important to us. Uh, so, uh, so we're building and innovating on some of the sensor technology that will be used to extract things like salinity, uh, uh, organics, uh, water pressure, water level. And these, these values tell us interesting things about the, uh, behavior and the sustainable yield from the, uh, aquifers. Uh, which we can then, uh, you know, model and learn more about uh, how water is cycled in the Hawaiian Islands. Mm-hmm. Well, can you tell me a little bit more about? I can see perhaps maybe mechanical engineering. I'm not a talented engineer like Bert, for example. Mm-hmm. What what are the overlaps in electrical engineering specifically and working with water? Uh, well, it's uh, interesting to to ask that question because there's actually a great deal of overlap between electrical and mechanical. There's a field known as microelectromechanical systems, which uh, combines mechanical and electrical. So there's a great deal of need for the mechanical side as well as the electrical side. Uh, the electrical side tells us interesting things about conductivity, which then infers things like salinity, which is one of the mm-hmm. parameters we're interested in extracting. Mm-hmm. 
using various uh, electrical means, uh, we can extract pressure and temperature as well. Uh, obviously, there's a, a lot of uh, cross-coupling, and there's a lot of uh, knowledge needed from many different domains. Uh, and so it's exciting for electrical engineers to learn some of that, and it's exciting for some of the mechanical engineering students as well as civil engineering students to uh, to learn some of the opportunities there. Now, mm-hmm. Gwen, you mentioned yeah. this diverse team, but you also mentioned that you know the state had an opportunity to pick its area of focus, its research priority area. Um, it might be uh, obvious to some people, but why the focus on water for this project? I think, um, well, uh, the way in which the decision was made was we, we consulted with a lot of the, uh, our stakeholders and thought leaders in, in the area as well as the university administration and and members of deans in the academic community and the and it was really a, a joint decision to to do things really really to address one of our most important probably our most important national resource na- natural resource and also it's giving us the opportunity to build new expertise and um, critical mass in the study of water sustainability so as part of the project we will hire three new faculty at UH Manoa, a geophysicist, a hydro engineer with skills in computational modeling, and uh, a water economist, as well as develop a brand new program in data science at UH Hilo. Mm-hmm. So this represents not only a choice of an area to study, but also a, real, a major investment by, by UH in a research area. Now, is this something that was perhaps, I mean, water has always been an important resource in Hawaii for you know, as long as anybody has been uh, living here. Is this now the first time that this kind of, let's say, attention or research, uh, depth of research in this topic is, is being exercised? I mean, and what was sort of done in the past and our understanding of, of the aquifers uh, from you know, previous organizations that were involved? Well, so from the UH perspective, I mean, UH has a long history in um, in terms of training folks in hydrology research. Ali Al-Qadi and also Frank Peterson, who was a faculty member at UH, um, this is something that I learned recently. Basically, most of the people who are in USGS and in a number of areas um, that in agencies were actually trained at UH. Mm-hmm. So that's been a kind of longstanding mm. thing, and we want to continue that trend. Um, in terms of what's known about water in the area, uh, really we are relying on all the work that's been done by USGS, the folks at the Commission on Water Resource Management, Board of Water Supply. I mean, one of the really uh, critical things about this project and why it's why it's interesting and, and unique and hopefully we will be very successful is that we are partnering very closely with the folks who are the experts in the area and bringing UH, UH's expertise to bear in partnership with our agency partners and community members as well, too. Mm-hmm. I like how Gwen sort of mentioned that we, we were already a center of excellence in this area, even if it wasn't something that was recognized or promoted because of seeing these experts in the field that mm-hmm. had some experience in Hawaii and we want to continue to grow that. Um, but David, uh, what is that scope in terms of the, the the aquifer working with water? You mentioned salinity, and certainly Hawaii has a lot of experience with ocean water, salt water, and a lot of issues relating to fresh water, uh, rainwater, collected water. Um, 
is there is there a hard barrier in terms of what you're going to be including in this research to stay away from salt water? You're focusing primarily on fresh water, or is there also focus on that blending and that overlap? Uh, certainly, the and this is testing my knowledge of uh, hydrogeology, of course. But uh, <laughs> that's I mean, what we're I, here for. Uh, we're testing, <laughs> <laughs> testing you, David. <laughs> so, so yes, we're actually interested in not just you know the the flow of the freshwater, but we we need to understand the incursion that the salt water has on our freshwater lens, as it's called, uh, which is. This, which contains the aquifers. So understanding the boundary is important uh, in, o- in order to understand the complete picture of how water moves within the island. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of the, uh, the aquifers that we're referring to, uh, will your sensor data be able to tell us information about the, the structure of the aquifer? I mean, is that part of the, the output of some of this data collection? Uh, so, so the piece that I'm doing on uh, monitoring of uh, groundwater data through through downwell sensing uh, wouldn't necessarily tell you that. You know, you need to have you have to have a set of models, and, and I'm sure Gwen could uh, fill in more of the details on this. Uh, but but yeah, you need uh, so you know we need to focus on certain aspects of of the problem. Uh, we can extract certain hydrogeological and hydraulic and and other parameters of interest and then use that to inform uh, our models. Mm-hmm. Gwen? I think, you know, one of the things that one of the big unknowns um, in this is really the substructure, the geological substructure. So what the and this and as I've learned more about this, um, our volcanic areas, the the geological substructure, what's underneath the earth, is very complex. Mm-hmm. And it's not a uniform kind of rock. There's dikes, there's lava tubes, there's all kinds of stuff. So that complex structure is something that we want to learn more about because that influences everything about you know, how much water we have, where the water is flowing, whether there's flow between the aquifers. And so you can think of it as kind of a a black box that's underneath the underneath the earth that we really need to understand what shapes are there, what could impede water flow. So that's really the big unknown. Mm-hmm. And the techniques that we're looking at for trying to really what we're trying to do is visualize the substructure using um, techniques that allow you to measure resistivity, uh, basically try to reconstruct the subsurface so that we can put that into a model and better understand water flow. So some of the, like David's sensors are, are actually kind of giving you information about the water itself, but there are other ways that you can determine, let's say, shape of the aquifer. And what, could you could you share a little bit about what the, those techniques might be? Yeah, so the techniques, there's there's really two techniques, and again, this is, this is, I'm learning this. I'm on a very steep learning curve, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what makes it really makes this project super fun. Um, there's two techniques. Something called magnetotellurics, mm-hmm. which basically uses the Earth's magnetic field and allows us to measure that, and from that detect differences in the resistivity of rocks. And then um, also we'll be using. So that's one way to 
uh, image the subsurface. Other techniques that we may be involved in using is you can use seismic testing as well. Uh, we haven't quite figured out whether we're going to use that or not, but there's really a set of kind of standard techniques that folks use. The issue is is that in many places, if you're trying to image the subsurface, it's a lot simpler in structure than it is here in Hawaii because of our volcanic um, geology. That just really creates a lot of, of structure that is very quite com- very complex. And, um, you know, David had mentioned the intrusion of salt water. I mean, I think um, just thinking in my simple mind, you know, I thought the worry was mostly what happens if we use more fresh water than is brought in by r- rain, for example. But it's not, not just that supply dwindling and draining perhaps like you might imagine, draining out of a bucket perhaps, but that if there's less fresh water that allows more salt water to come in and possibly um, – affect our the availability availability to us or to agriculture of freshwater. Exactly. I mean, it, the way that, so the idea is that there's this freshwater lens, which is like a layer of freshwater that sits on top of saltwater, and saltwater is heavier. But if we pump out a lot of freshwater, that changes the pressure gradient, and then ultimately wells can then become contaminated with salt water. Mm-hmm. So think of it as kind of balancing those pressures. So the more we pull out, the more we're at risk for contaminating some of those wells. You know, another thing that I, I, I learned just kind of hanging out with you, Gwen, is that mm-hmm. the, there's another facet of this, which is the water, the fresh water that actually goes out into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And Henrietta Dulai, right, she's mm-hmm. the one that's sort of helping to measure some of that. And you know, when you go swimming, sometimes, you know, the water is nice and warm, and all of a sudden you feel this sort of cold water, and it's <laughs> you don't know where that's coming from. And she's got techniques that are actually measuring the amount of freshwater flow that's coming out of some of these aquifers. Yeah, and actually, um, that's Henrietta was, Henrietta Dulai is in oceanography there at uh, UH, and her technique is, she has a buoy that actually measures radon as kind of a signature for for detecting fresh water in a body of salt water. And her her techniques were actually developed in the last step score, so we're using some uh-huh. of some of her stuff. So she has a buoy out in Kiholo Bay right now. And the idea there, what we're trying to figure out is where are these sources of fresh water that are coming out? And also um, her measurements will allow us to build models that will hopefully estimate the amount. So we want to know where is it coming out and also what's the volume because ultimately think of that volume as the water that's going out. So that needs to be considered as part of the overall water budget. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's not easy to measure that if you think of it that leak in the aquifer. And in some sense the sometimes the water comes out closer to the surface, but there may also be uh, situations where it's coming out very deep you know, very deep in the, in the, in the ocean. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to hear more about uh, David's sort of building of his uh, sensors and how a lot of those sensors will be, let's say, relaying that data back into a repository. I want to hear about that. As well as, Gwen, you're, you know, you've been actually taking this out on the road, and you're getting some pretty <laughs> good response with some yep. of the other uh, organizations and agencies. So I want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short a break to continue our conversation with both Gwen Jacobs and David Garmar from UH, and we're talking about the F-Score Project EKVI. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or reach us from the Neighbor Islands toll-free at 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Here in the United States, using a bicycle to get around is mostly for the young, but in Europe, it's a way of life for all ages. In the Netherlands, for example, 
those 65 and older make 25%, one-fourth of their trips by bicycle, while in the U.S. this is less than 1%. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason, Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii Public Radio. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Carla Malden, author of After Image, a broken-hearted memoir of a charmed life. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about a love story of death and beyond. Sunday morning at 11. Well, welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We're talking to Gwen Jacobs and David Garmeyer about Ikevai and studying Hawaii's freshwater aquifer. And, of course, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to give us a call. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, of course, you know, right before the break, we were kind of teasing you and letting you know that we wanted to geek out with David and understand a little bit more about the sensor technology that's going on. And... You have, you know, David, you've, um, you're actually in the lab right now trying to build these sensors and maybe describe a little bit about what that experience is like and, you know, and, and how do you plan to actually get this information back into you know, a database somewhere? <laughs> great question. Uh, so it, it's uh, great that we have some students, some undergraduates uh, involved in this research project. Uh, we were able to get them on board early. Uh, so those students and myself uh, were uh, working in the lab to develop these sensor modules using our uh, fabrication tools that we have available that we've been building up through the UH Fab Lab, which is uh, our College of Engineering makerspace. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, so the idea is that we collect these uh, data uh, at remote locations. These are wells that are located you know, far from or potentially far from people, so they're hard to access. And uh, we, we want to pull that data through the sensors that we develop uh, and stream them uh, back to our data management uh, center. So, uh, so the students really get a chance to see all different engineering aspects of this challenge, uh, so from having to you know properly encapsulate the the electronics and the material uh <laughs> such that it you know obviously you don't want to have uh issues with uh with well contamination <laughs> that we uh put in <laughs> we put in there so so you know proper uh you know following proper procedures is important and uh, and the students get a chance to learn about that and learn how to um, create very, very miniaturized sensors that uh, can monitor this, these, the, the important data you know, in real time. And, and how did you say that you were going to get that back to the, the – you said you're streaming it back. But how, well, I mean, where's your power supply and what network are you streaming this back on? So we really have to build a complete system. Uh, mm. We need the, the panels to extract data from uh, – extract power from sunlight. So we store that energy uh, locally at the top of the well. And then uh, we can wirelessly, since the island is fairly well covered uh, in our 
uh, uh, telephone and our cellular, cellular networks, networks uh, we can uh, basically access that and uh, use that as a method for sending the data. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we're talking to uh, David Garmeyer. He's the associate uh, professor in EE over at the University of Hawaii and as well as uh, Gwen Jacobs, who's the principal investigator on this project. She's the director over at Cyber Infrastructure in Information Technology Services over at UH. And, of course, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to give us a call. We're talking about the project EKVI. And the number here is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome Peter from Maui to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, yes, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I was wondering if there's a monitoring of pollutants in the aquifer from, like, pesticide, herbicide. And I, I'm actually from Maui, and I was horrified when I asked uh, where do I actually the city or um, where do I take my um, automotive fluid, not counting the motor oil, but transmission oil, hydraulic fluids, and my antifreeze, um, and I, my, they gave me answer, just put it in the caddy loader, and so it's so it's not running, and put it in the garbage can, and it's totally safe, they told me, but they telling us always, it's safe, like Hanford in Oregon, you know, oh, it's safe, it's... Uh, so I was wondering, maybe in the 20 years we have a problem that all the fluids and all what we dump in the landfill, we actually seep through, uh, through and we will get it in the aquifer and then we will drink it and uh, goes in the ocean and stuff. So I was wondering if there's something done to have a hazardous waste done on Maui. I don't know about Oahu, but sure. basically I'm afraid and in 20 years we'll be Drinking a motor fluid. <laughs> well, thank That's a reasonable question. Yeah, thank you thanks, very Peter. much uh, for your call. I mean, um, with these sensors, you're talking about salinity. I mean, what other things might you detect in this research, uh, yeah. David? Yeah, very, very good uh, and uh, good question. So uh, initially, we're really focused on the salinity question. Uh, as it inform, you know, gives us sign, uh, sort of our most critical information. Uh, we need we need pressure and temperature and salinity as our as our primary goal. Uh, but we've also uh, been looking at adding other th- other monitoring techniques for uh, for organics and other chemicals, and just seeing what what kind of limit we can get. You know, in terms of those things, I would imagine you, when you're looking at, for example, runoff or uh, fresh water intruding into ocean water, that's another opportunity to to detect um, other other items like that. Gwen, yeah, I mean, I think um, having worked with David a little bit before, I mean, my understanding is that um, we can design pretty much sensors to measure just about anything that we want to. I mean, that's one of the really exciting things about the sensor technology is if if we have these downwell sensors, we can put different kinds of sensors on the sensor itself and then be able to detect these different kinds of contaminants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in by using the same sensor and be able to transmit those different data streams back. So mm-hmm. uh, 
super excited about about this technology and how we'll be able to deploy it. But both man-made in stuff will probably be like phase two or phase three. Well, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the thing is the Board of Water Supply has been, uh, you know, traditionally, I mean, they are the ones that are testing the water to find out what, you know, what is inside the water. But that's, you know, Department uh, Board of Water Supply is on Oahu, and I can't speak for them or the the folks on Maui that do the, their the counterparts, but I think uh, on on um, in fact that might be a show in and of itself to have the board of water supply kind of explain how do they actually test the water. Uh, but they also, I mean, I know for a fact that automotive locations here, I mean, they'll tell you if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna uh, change your oil, you put it in a container and you know you take it to the the automotive shop and they will dispose of it. You know, don't throw it inside your. Yeah, I think he was talking dumpster. more specifically of other fluids. Uh, going back to sort of the broader scope of this, Gwen, mm-hmm. um, you know, National Science Foundation funding, it's a area of focus. It's uh, for the state to kind of work on a specific area. Um, I would imagine that a lot of times they also would fund research that has applicability nationwide. You know, do the study here, but learn things that can help us somewhere else. I'm curious that I would imagine that Hawaii's aquifer is pretty unique in terms of how it interacts, how it's structured physically. Um, is there are there specific things that you can see we, us learning in a Hawaii study that could be applied on the mainland, for example? Yeah, <laughs> I think you know the challenge for us because of you know the complexity of the subsurface geology. I mean, our problem is harder than it is the say for someone who's trying to build. Um, an aquifer model in, a, in say, California or some other area. Although there are areas in California, for example, Mount Shasta, that is a that is an extinct volcanic. that is a volcano. So they mm-hmm. have the same kind of substructure. I think really what we're looking at is is the impact of this kind of work in the island setting. So we hope that our work will also help to inform studies in American Samoa and areas like that that have similar volcanic structures and that we can, um, and yes, absolutely. I think if we develop new sensor technologies, if we can build a really comprehensive model of a very complex geological structure, it will be, it will be a, I can say it will be a contribution, I think, to to the study of hydrology. I mean, we're super excited about our um, our our software platform that we're going to put in place to aggregate data and do um, and do analysis and visualization. And I think that that piece will be quite unique and will be very interesting to to both agencies and hydrologists, hydrologists around. Now, David, you talked about the sensors, how the data would be relayed using cell networks. Um, is this stuff that has been in development? Is this something that you've developed, that UH has developed, or are you building upon uh, established, either if not uh, complete solutions, but you know, ideas used in other research? Where is that expertise coming from for this hardware and telemetry piece? Well, uh, so a lot of the, you know, a lot of the theory has been developed, and there's, that, you know, this is part of research, taking uh, work from others and, and develop and pushing it forward. And uh, so some of the pieces that we're putting into these sensor modules, they're, they're developed at, uh, at UH in our fab lab, mm-hmm. uh, some of them by students. Uh, and, you know, some of them you're going to buy off the shelf of their good solutions that are cheap. And, uh, you know, certainly for the, the cell network, we already have low-cost Wi-Fi modules uh, that are readily available. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you know, for developing the downwell sensor module nodes, 
uh, we we needed to come up with something on our own that's that's uh, you know it's you it's leveraging some of the knowledge that that's already in the literature, and uh, and it's it's putting it into practice in a in a, a very interesting and, and useful way. Cool. Um, so you have bits of both. You mm-hmm. have you have uh, you know innovative. Uh, sensor techniques for certain things uh, to solve certain issues. Uh, you know, ultimately, you're trying to develop something that's low cost, that, that can relay this really critical information uh, in, in real time. And you, you want it low cost so that you can instrument mm-hmm. many wells. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't have to have uh, you know, as high accuracy as, as some of the other you know, more professional uh, uh, sensor modules that have been mm-hmm. developed. Now, now, Gwen, uh, you know the two study areas. One is on Oahu, and, and uh, the other one is on the Big Island. Mm-hmm. And then you're you're actually going out and, and actually talking to a variety of different community groups and other organizations that are already involved with the the you know water as a resource. I mean, tell me, you just came back from a, a trip to the Big Island and talking to some of the groups over there. What's what's their take on this? Uh, yeah, and you know what I. I want to make sure I send a, a big thank you to one of our team members, um, Greg Chun, who's um, he is a faculty member in our Social Sciences Research Institute, and he is leading our community engagement strategy. He's been just incredibly um, helpful, and he really knows the community really well, and also understands a lot about how to, you know, how to communicate a complex project like this. So yes, we were just recently on the Big Island. We were guests at the Hawaii Leeward Planning Conference. That's Mm. a group of folks that are um, landowners, uh, hydrologists. We had Harry Kim was Mm -hmm. there at our meeting and um, Keith Okamoto from the Hawaii Board of Water Supply. Really wonderful group. They were very welcoming, um, really enjoyed our presentation. And Basically, our goal is to engage as many stakeholders as we can because we want we want this work that we're doing to make a difference, and we really won't make a difference unless we hear from the community and work with our agency partners. We also got to visit um, NELHA, the Natural Energy Lab of Hawaii, um, Alex Leonard, and um, Keith Olson gave us a wonderful tour. I'd never been there before, mm-hmm. and they are they are super excited about working with us. They're um, they will let us put sensors in the monitoring wells that they have. They also have an analytical lab for analyzing water samples. We can park our geophysical gear there. So, you know, after coming away from that visit, and I still am remiss in sending them a thank you, and if they're listening, a big thank you to them, um, we'd love to make this our outpost, you know, kind of our test lab our to road test all of our technologies before we start to deploy them in um wells at in other areas. Well, you know, Gwen, uh, one of our buddies, uh, Rod uh, Hinman, yeah, yeah. is uh, friends of Nelha, and mm. he has a program that he does every month called the uh, Kona Science Cafe. And I understand that uh, you're one of the featured uh, guests yeah. on their next upcoming yeah. October uh, Science Cafe event. Yeah, really looking forward to that. And, you know, one of our strategies in this is to you know, to really get the word out about this project, to make sure that we're getting the input, really listening to the community and our agency stakeholders to make sure that the work that we do will make a difference. Because there's a lot of folks that have been working in this area for a while, and we want to, you know, we want to make sure that the work that we do addresses state needs, agency needs, and that we are strategic about how 
to deploy our, our resources. One of the things I've been most excited about is just the willingness of everyone we've talked to to share their data. There is a lot of data out there on wells and geological structures and also encouraging us to talk to the Kapuna and other folks about their learn some something about the area in terms of the oral histories and and um, information that would be pretty hard to get. One other thing, I'll make one other point. Um, we're also working with Puakan Nogelmeyer and mm-hmm. Anoalani Aga from the Institute for Hawaiian Language Translation. That's a super interesting part of the project because they will go back through Hawaiian language newspapers to try to pull out information from the past we're going to take that information and integrate it with all the other data that we're that we're collecting. I definitely like that integration of uh, uh, cultural practitioners, that yeah. information. Uh, uh, Gwen mentioned what sh- what excites her most. Uh, David, from the from your side, what are what are you most excited about this project? Uh-huh. Well, coming from engineering, uh, I'm definitely very uh, excited about ha- having my undergraduate students and and other graduate students involved in you know in this innovative process where we have this critical challenge that's presented to us and we we need to find innovative solutions to it. Uh, I think just this process of uh, figuring out how to build something that satisfies these critical challenges is, is really of interest and really at the heart of engineering, which is what I do. So. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, there's a, a number of different other technical researchers and scientists involved with this project. And Absolutely. Gwen, you have the the glorious job of, of getting them Hurting all together and, <laughs> and, and coming up with the, the science behind this. So uh, where can people find out more information about this project? So we have we have a website. So this is hawaii.edu slash EBSCOR. That's our EBSCOR website. We also have a Facebook page and, and an Instagram as well. And a Twitter account. And Twitter. And I think if you really want to keep an, on top of this, you should ask Bert because Bert, I is, Bert is helping us out. Well, you know, there is a lot of stuff going on. I think uh, I mentioned Ron Hidman, and that's on the 17th of October. And I think uh, Don, Water, uh, Don, um, Don, Thomas. Don Thomas is going to be talking at the Honolulu Science Cafe, which is, I think, on the 18th. I'll put that up on our show notes yeah. later on. And, and we've, met, we've met with DLNR, with Suzanne Case. We're doing a briefing for Commission on Water Resource Management and also super excited to give a, an update on our project to the Hawaii Community Foundation mm-hmm. for their Freshwater Council. We want to really align our efforts with those. Good stuff. Well, Gwen Jacobs is the principal investigator, and, of course, David Garmeyer is the associate professor of EE. And they're both part of the EPSCOR Ikevai team uh, over at the University of Hawaii. We want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we're going to kick off Celebration 2016, our fall pledge drive. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And, of course, we'll leave you with our song pick of the week. Here is the chill sounds of Taiko and a song called Epoch. See you next week as we kick off Celebration 2016.